because this book has just been my dream and my obsession for so long. And it's been, and I had really made peace with the fact that maybe it will never be published and that's okay. You know, like when you are younger and you think like, oh, I'm just going to pursue a career as a writer. And like, you see the books in the bookstore and you have no idea how that process happens. And you think it'll be fairly easy. Um, and then you realize it's not. And you get to like a dark night of the soul where you're like, why am I making art really? Welcome to the Creative Tax Podcast with Mike Brennan. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Creative Chats. It's the podcast for artist makers and content creators where we talk about creativity, the creative process, and story. I'm your host, Mike Brennan. You can connect with me over on Instagram. I'm at MikeBone. And you can check out some of my work, which is on my website, MikeBrennan.me. I'd also love to extend an invitation to you to join our free Facebook group called Daily Creative Habit. It's where all types of creatives are showing up to say, I want to be more consistent with my creativity and craft. And if you would like to be a part of that community, we would love to have you. Go to dailycreativehabit.com to sign up to be a part of that group. Also, you can sign up for the free Daily Creative Habit newsletter. This is a newsletter that comes twice a week right now. It comes Mondays and Fridays. The newsletter is packed with resources and inspiration and also daily prompts that are centered around creativity. And it doesn't matter if you're a visual artist, musician, content creator, what your creative expression is. These prompts are designed to get you thinking and engage with your own creativity and establish your own daily creative habit. Go to dailycreativehabit.com and subscribe today. Hey, so for this week's episode, I have a real treat for you guys. I get to sit down with a really great old friend of mine, June Gervais, and we talk about a new book that she released, which is Jobs for Girls with Artistic Flair. And this book, man, you want to talk about a long time coming. I mean, I didn't even realize how far back she started this book and how many years it took in revisions. And so we talk a lot about the process of carrying this dream, this uh, passion project of hers and wanting to see it come to fruition. And if you are a creative who has been carrying something for a long time, you've been trying to create something and get it out into the world and you haven't been able to get past certain doors or you've had to get stuck in rounds of revisions upon revisions, this episode in particular is really going to speak to you. And it's just a fun episode for me personally because I get to sit down with an old friend and it's like us just having coffee over Zoom. And um, I know you're really going to enjoy. June is a great, great woman and uh, very creative and I just love her to death. And so I know you will too. So I'm going to get out of the way here and let you guys hear my creative chat with June Gervais. Well, June, welcome to the Creative Chats podcast. My friend, it is so good to see you. It's good to see you too. <laughs> this is going to be an episode with a lot of laughing and giggling. I can Watch. tell. <laughs> see. <laughs> so, for the sake of our listeners, yes, I have known you for a long time, dear old friend, long time. and uh, yes, um, and just we're it's, ancient it's, now. <laughs> now I'm like a, I'm like a redwood tree. I, <laughs> wow, that's impressive. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yes, but I, I love I love when I get a chance to bring friends on the podcast um, and just share that other piece of 
life with with the listeners um because it's not simply just someone who you know i admire their work or was you know met them at a conference or something else there's there's a shared history and um i'm sure that's going to come out in our conversation today and Definitely. the listeners have the benefit of of you know checking it out and uh i know your story and your work is going to greatly encourage everyone who's listening so oh i hope so thank yeah, you absolutely. well your work encourages me i love seeing that you're still creating art and you still have a daily practice after like many many years um yeah. i remember when you were first reconnecting with your art practice and um yeah rock and roll have to be yeah <laughs> so i there's a few things that we could talk about for sure one of the things that that I love about you is that you're creative in multiple ways. Mm, and, thanks. you know, I've seen this up front and, you know, just experienced it personally with you doing music and you doing visual art and you writing, obviously, you know, because we're going to talk a lot about your book and your journey there. But, like, was there a point at which you knew as a kid that you're like, yeah, you know what? Like, this is something that is definitely me. I'm creative. Yeah. I mean, I was just raised to think that was valuable. My parents were both really creative. My, um, you know, they both could draw. My dad did a lot of drawing. My mom made pottery. Um, anytime we would go out to a store, if we saw something cool, she'd be like, I think we could make that. We wouldn't buy it. And we'd go home and she'd find a way to make it, you know, Um like so i just grew up with a lot of art my dad played guitar you know my mom would be cooking dinner and my dad would be playing and she would sing and i would sing and like so that my house was just there was always music playing there were always art supplies around um and they taught me they, i was so fortunate to have parents who treated that as a very worthwhile thing to do mm -hmm. and i was an obsessive reader um like i read so much that my mom at some point threatened to like take my books away if I didn't go outside I had to like get up and move around um and I loved writing from a very early age I mean I think from seven years old I wanted to be a writer um and they always encouraged me in that at no point were they like that's impractical or you should whatever um they just always were like you have a gift and you should pursue that and mm -hmm. um so it's just who creating things is just who I am and I, I can't think of a time in my life when that wasn't part of who I am. Mm, that's beautiful. I love that. Did Thanks. you ever have that wrestling with you're doing one form of creativity and you feel like you're neglecting another? And mm. how do you move in and out of those things? You know? Yeah, I think less that and more that having you know, the practical reality of like having to work and having to pay the bills. And, you know, then when I had kids, like taking care of my kids, more feeling like I'm missing when I couldn't do creative pursuits at all. I mean, there's always something, right? I'm always going to be singing while I'm driving or washing the dishes. Yeah. Like I'm always going to be doodling on a piece of paper, but in terms of doing like deep creative work or creative practice, um, and particularly my writing, because that is what I feel like deeply, deeply called to. Um, so it's not so much competing with types of community as, um, sorry, creativity is just finding the time to do it during certain seasons of life. Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And 
in terms of writing, like what you were writing about, like just your, your life experiences and your, your thoughts of like things that were important to you, but like, how did this take shape early on in your life? Mm, Writing in general? Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh. I mean, I just always was making little books. Like I was always drawing pictures and illustrating them and writing poems and stories and like whatever, anything. I just like to write. Um, you know, of course, as a teenager, like a lot of teenagers got really into writing poetry, very, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> heartfelt, intense poetry. Um, <laughs> I um, And then when I was 19, I decided, I mean, I always wanted to write a book and I always told myself I would. And when I was a teenager, I, I did go through really like a lot of stuff. I struggled a lot with depression. And um, I, at one point, told myself that I was going to write a book one day and it was going to make someone else feel less alone because I felt I was very lonely. I was kind of a misfit kid. I was home alone a lot. Um, I felt like a weirdo, <laughs> like in general, that's still true. I still feel like a weirdo <laughs> in the world. And um, so I told myself I was going to make something of all that sadness and, and make something beautiful for somebody else. And so when I was 19, in college, I started writing a novel. And um, then that became my obsession for many, many, many years to come. <laughs> mm-hmm. So so the the novel that you just released, is that yeah, the origins of that was way back that's, then? Yep. I started wow. it when I was 19 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. I know. Okay. I'm so, the, the, now. <laughs> <laughs> so the next question is then, how do you, how do you keep something alive that long? Right. When there's that much time involved and many hurdles, right? I mean, I know that you've had to go through a lot of hurdles in getting this book out there. Um, Can you share a little bit about that journey? Yeah. So, uh, gosh, where do I begin? Um, The question of like, how do you keep something alive that long? There were definitely times when I gave up on it. There were, in fact, there were particular dramatic times when I can think of where I was like, I am done with this book. I've been working on this X number of years. I, it's not going anywhere or it's not getting picked up by an agent or I can't get it right. This I'm done with this breaking my heart, like a bad relationship where you're like, I'm not going back to you anymore. (laughs) And then somehow after, you know, a year or so, either I would really miss it. And I would start to think of ways that maybe I could fix it or bring it back to life again, or it would come back to me in some weird way. And I have like strange stories about that. Um, But the process of writing that book, you know, so it starts with just writing, you're just writing a draft. And I would just write chapters. I had these characters in mind. Um, And then eventually you get to the end of what you you know, your first draft and I give it to a friend to read and get some feedback and then revise it, overhaul it. Um, And then um, I'm just trying to give like the nuts and the shortest Mm -hmm. possible version of the nuts and bolts of writing and publishing a novel in like 30 seconds. Um, (laughs) You know, you go back and forth with like writer friends, like trying to perfect your draft. And then when you feel like it's done, you start looking for a literary agent um, because if you want to get published by one of the major publishers that you would find in like Barnes and Noble or whatever, um, you need an agent to do it. There's like smaller presses you can t- that are beautiful and awesome that you could totally go to without an agent. But if you want to try to go that route, you need an agent to do it. So um, you start sending out 
emails to agents and there's a very specific process there's a format you have to follow you send them an excerpt there's like that's a very long difficult process sometimes they'll never answer you sometimes they're like oh this sounds great i'd love to read you know 20 pages you send 20 pages and you wait three months then they're like this is great i'd like to read the whole thing they read it and you wait more months. And sometimes after the end of all that, they say, oh, I love your writers and I, I love your writing and your characters and your stories and your idea, but I didn't fall in love. Sorry, I'm not the right agent for the project. You mm -hmm. go through that process possibly 60 times um, or maybe they never respond at all, you know? Um, so then once you get an agent, then you work with them for possibly another year or more, revising it, getting it perfected to send out to editors at those, you know, publishing houses. So, um, and then if the book sells, then you go through more edits with your editor. So altogether, I've probably written 20 drafts of this novel. Hmm. So it's a very different piece of work than when I first started it at age 19. Yeah, I would imagine that's, uh, uh, wow. That's an intense process. Um, yeah. And how do you deal with having to be so um, flexible with all the revisions, right? And not mm. so in love with your own work that you're yeah. like, um, you know what? <laughs> yeah, you practice. I mean, you have to practice at it. And um, I also went to grad school at one point for writing. And, you know, that involves workshopping and sitting in a room with 10 other people who are going to critique the work that you bring. And I think the way that you go about it is just leaning into it and embracing it. And the writer, Madeline Lengel, who wrote um, A Wrinkle in Time and that whole series, um, she wrote another book called Walking on Water, Reflections on Faith and Art that I really, really love. And she has a phrase in there where she talks about being the servant of the work. And if you see yourself as the servant of the work, and that it's not about your ego, it's not about becoming a famous writer or making a lot of money, it's that you're creating this beautiful thing that is meant for a reader on the other side. And you wanna give them the best possible experience. You don't want them on page five to say, I don't care, or at page 100 to be like, why did I pick this book up? Or like, you want to transport them into a world and, and make something happen for them. And if so, then you have to lean into you're going to need other people's perspectives on it um, and just keep on showing up, you know, and I would tell myself that I'm the servant of the work. And then it makes, then you become eager to get critiques because you want it to be what it's meant to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. How do you know who to listen to? Because mm -hmm. I'm sure there are people who well-intentioned yeah. might actually be giving you bad advice. Yes. This is a really good question. It was something I had to learn because I think in the beginning, I actually erred too much on the side of like, well, everybody must know better than me because I'm like young and dumb and I don't know what I'm doing. And so, um, but what you realize over time is that people, your goal needs to be, this thing I'm creating wants to be something. It has a finished form. This idea is coming to me and it wants to be a particular thing. And my goal is to listen really hard to it. And what is the, what critiques am I being given that can help it become what it is? Like a child, right? Like a child is born, they have a certain temperament, they have certain gifts. Like you cannot mold any given human being to become whatever you want. They are who they are. So how do you help them become like the fullest, best version of themselves? And over time, I began to realize what was in the heart of this novel and what could not change. 
and what could be changed, you know? Um, so that, that kind of comes through like a trial and error process and over time realizing like, what is the heart of my work? Oh, this is the heart of my work. And for me, it was, I'm writing a book about this young woman, Gina Mully. She's becoming a tattoo artist in the eighties. She's always felt weird and socially awkward and she's a misfit and she doesn't know what to say. Um, but she really fiercely has this dream of becoming a tattoo artist. Those things couldn't change for me. Um, at one point she falls in love with this other young woman, Anna, that couldn't change for me. They just fall in love. They just do. It's just part of the heart of the work. And I don't know why, but like, if somebody was like, uh, could you like make that not happen? I'd be like, no, sorry, this is who this is, you know? Um, but if, for example, when my agent said to me, I would like to see you raise the stakes in this book. I would like to see her make more daring choices. Could she run off to the city and try tattooing? Could she take more risks? Can you put more at stake for her? I'm like, yes, that I can do. That does not interfere with like the heart of who it is. And in fact, it just gives it more urgency. Does it make sense? Mm, yeah, totally, totally. So when you're in that place of, of receiving this critique and you're learning to trust your own voice in the process also and trying to yeah. navigate those waters and then you're doing these revisions <clears throat> specifically because it's a story, right? You're not just yeah. simply recounting events of your life. Yeah, You're able to inject other things into it. And so where are the places that you found inspiration for some of the ideas and, and what helped shape that for you? Um, I'm smiling right now. I don't know if this is an audio or video podcast, but if it's audio, just want to say for the record, I'm smiling. <laughs> we can hear you smiling. <laughs> I'm smiling because ideas come from so many places and they delight yeah. me and just, you just get gifts in the most wonderful ways sometimes. So, um, as I wrote the book, I'm not a tattoo artist. I've never been a tattoo artist. I have a hand tremor, so I should never be a tattoo artist. I would mess it up. Um, but I'm fascinated by tattoos. So, you know, I had to research that and I had to interview tattoo artists and shadow them and watch them work. And um, some of my ideas came from there, you know, where I would say to a tattoo artist, like, tell me what could go wrong. Like, tell me <laughs> what would be a disaster when you were tattooing or like, what do you do when you realize you've messed up or what if your machine broke, how would it break? You know? Um, and then sometimes they would tell me stories. Like I, I found this wonderful woman, Lynn Terhar, who was the first woman to open a tattoo shop in Suffolk County on Long Island. So that was back in like, you know, she opened that back in 91. So she had some amazing stories about when tattooing was much grittier and, she just had some wild stories from her life, you know? So I like the story of how she got her first equipment pretty much ends up in the book. I give that, she gave me permission. I gave that to my character. If you read the book, her first equipment walks into her life in a kind of a funny way. And that, so that came from a real person. Um, some ideas come from just, I don't know, I'll be wandering around and I would think, wouldn't it be funny if blah, blah, blah. Like, and I'll start laughing out loud and then I'll put that in the book. <laughs> <laughs> it is just things I think are funny. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Ideas come from everywhere. Yeah. Well, and you have to be open, right? That's the, that's the yes. big thing. <clears throat> yes. Yeah, you have to be open. And it's like your your project is there in this box in your mind, but it's always open. It's like a closet that's... Mm -hmm 
that's usually open that as you're walking around doing something else entirely, you can pick something and be like, Ooh, this goes in that closet and just stick it there for later. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's amazing. Amazing. So I don't know that we've, we've mentioned um, the title of the book yet, but jobs for oh. girls with artistic flair, right? Yes. Jobs and, for girls with artistic flair. And um, why that is a title. Mm. So the book has had like so many different titles. It was really hard to hit on the right one. But early in the book, my character, Gina, it's 1985. She has basically grown up in her older brother's tattoo shop. And this was a time when tattooing was very gritty. Um, it was not the trendy celebrity driven mm -hmm. thing it is now. People were definitely not paying $200 an hour for a tattoo or like, you know, whatever thousands of followers on Instagram, like it was this sort of looked down upon trashy subculture, but she's got a really troubled home. So she's sort of, and her brother's got a tattoo shop and this is like her sanctuary. And this is the one safe place for her as a kind of a misfit kid. So she turns 18, graduates high school. And her brother's like, you need to get out in the world now. Like you need to get a job. She doesn't have no way to she have money for college. So she's got to figure something out. She's already worked a bunch of different jobs, high school, you know, like she's worked at a bait shop and a card store and like, a, you know, housekeeping service, but she doesn't want to do any of that. So she's sitting here trying to figure out what to do. So her brother gets so fed up with her because she's like, I don't know. I don't have any skills. All I can do with my skills are like manage mom and draw weird pictures and help you with your grunt work. Like I can't do anything. So he makes a list for her called jobs for girls with artistic flair. Um, and it's like candy making, floral design, window dressing. And she's like, oh, so she's sitting here. And eventually what she comes upon it, she's like, no, I want to work here. I want to be a tattoo artist. But the title is supposed to be sort of ironic. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, as, as a, creative person who maybe is lacking direction that uh -huh. probably resonates where you go i've got yeah. these gifts and abilities but i don't know what yeah. to do with them like in the real yeah. world sense like right. how can i actually make a living off my creativity right right, <laughs> right. yeah exactly and yeah. he does his best in his sort of sexist 1985 rural Long Island kind of way does his best for her but eventually she amends the title of the list to just be jobs for artists instead of jobs for girls with artistic flair so but yeah it's true like what do I do with myself I need to eat yeah. and I want to make art yeah mm, I love that so the the book has come out uh, and I've seen you go on book tours and yeah. just uh, receive a lot of praise, which you absolutely deserve and uh, love that. Um, how have things changed and not changed since the release of the book? Oh, gosh, things have hardly changed at all. I mean, life is still regular life. You know, my kids still need dinner and like. <laughs> Like when you texted me the other day and I'm like, sorry, Mike, I'm in the middle of cleaning my house. I know it's really glamorous, the writer life. Now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, my life is very much the same. And now that things are settling down and the kids are going back to school, like I plan to just go back to my writing life and start a new project and do what I've always done, which is like take a walk, light a candle, sit down at my desk and work. Um, you know, um, that said, it was a, a beautiful flurry of a year. Um, and I think what I feel more than anything is relief because this book has just been my dream and my obsession for so long. And it's 
been, and I had really made peace with the fact that maybe it will never be published and that's okay. You know, like when you are younger and you think like, oh, I'm just going to pursue a career as a writer. And like, you see the books in the bookstore and you have no idea how that process happens. And you think it'll be fairly easy. Um, and then you realize it's not. And you get to like a dark night of the soul where you're like, why am I making art really? Um, and a lot of that, my character goes through that in the book where she really starts to think about, okay, what do I want to do? And why am I doing this? So I, at one point really became, I made peace with the fact that it might never get published and that what my real life consists of is like care for the people I love and keep making art. And, and if I can do that, then that's a pretty good life. So, um, but at the same time, of course, like I passionately care about this project and it was sort of, I think my bucket list had like one item and this is it. (laughs) (laughs) Now that it's checked off and it's in the world, I feel a lot of relief and a lot of freedom to, you know, um, be like, okay, it's there. Now it's going to have its little life. And it's been a cool year in the meantime. It has been really cool to see people post it on social media and be like, ah, it's on a bookshelf or like taking it out from the library or writing like a stranger writing a review on Goodreads and just saying like, oh my gosh, this book meant so much to me. Or I, I wept when I read this book or I laughed out loud or like, I feel so seen. Um, that's really, that's really meaningful to me. I feel very grateful to have the experience of like, I got to make a piece of art and someone received it the way I hoped, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. And, um, definitely a gift. Yeah. 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 So when the book is out there and the tours die down, yeah. Is there anything else that happens in that part of the process of like, okay, like the book is complete. It's living its own life now, so to speak. Um, but in, in terms of like the publishing world and everything else, is there anything else that happens there? Yeah. So there's like, you know, a flurry of publicity just before and after it comes out. And that's when kind of um, some nice articles came out. And, um, but then of course the publishing cycle moves on. They've got other books they're launching. But the nice thing about a novel, if it comes out in hardcover is that next year it's gonna come out in paperback. So next June, um, it'll get like another little push and another chance for people to hear about it. And then, in the meantime, yeah, hopefully just by word of mouth, people um, hear about it. And um, But it'll be pretty quiet between now and next June when the paperback comes out. Hmm. Did that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. The no, answer. yeah, because I think a lot of people think, you know, it's, they're familiar, obviously, with the, the okay, you do this, you write, and then you, yeah. you launch it and you put it out there. But then it's like, well, then, then what? You know, like what, yeah. what happens after all that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm continuing to do, so like I organized my own book tour. Um, publishers used to do that for writers. And then I think during the pandemic, there was a big shift because obviously there weren't events happening. And I think publishing companies figured out like, oh, we don't have to put writers up in hotels and pay for their travel to sell books. We can give them to influencers on Instagram or whatever, you know. Um, But I had always wanted to do a book tour, not because I'm like, ooh, fancy me, but because part of how I kept myself encouraged in this process was thinking one day I want to celebrate with people I really love. So I want to go visit my friends across the country and meet their kids that I've never met 
and hug them and read at their little local bookstore and have a really good dinner afterwards. And um, so I organized a book tour anyway, and I really enjoyed that. But um, yeah, I think going forward, you know, I'll continue to organize readings. Um, um, let's see. Yeah, and I think as I, I mentioned to you earlier, I would love to talk to students. Like I'd love to talk to high school classes. I'd love to talk to college classes. So if there's any teachers or educators listening, if they email me, I would love to, I could Zoom with their class. If they're local or I'm going where they are, I'd be happy to come in in person. Um, book clubs, I would love to Zoom or talk with book clubs. Um, and for me, that's not even so much about like, oh, promoting the book or like mm -hmm. trying to get it to be a bestseller as like, I really, I, I wrote this book like a love letter for people so that they would enjoy it and feel less alone. And so it's very meaningful to like get to talk to people and to answer questions because people do have questions about like, how do you, how do you do this process? Or like yeah. those, all those blurbs on the back of the book, where do they come from? Or do you get to weigh in on the cover? Like people have curiosity and I love mm. to talk about it. So you said, okay, you're, you're now hunkering down to just go, I'm going to just do more writing. Like, are you, yeah. are you thinking another book? Are you thinking just like other projects? Like, what does that look like for you right now? Um, yeah, I am working on another novel. Um, I also write essays, so I'm probably going to continue to publish little articles and essays. Um, but I'm working on another novel that I'm really excited about. And now that things are calming down, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back to it. Mm. That's cool. Love it. Yeah. Do you have any like thoughts of like, Ooh, would it be cool if this became like a movie or, you know, uh, I never like, I rare people, other friends will say that to me mm -hmm. and I know it's a very visual book so I can, I could see it like, and man, I would like to see a movie set in a tattoo shop. Tattoo shops are so cool. Um, but I don't generally think like that because I just try to keep, my focus on the day at hand, you know, and I try to just keep my expectations kind of modest. So then everything comes as a lovely surprise and I don't, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. um, that would be cool if that happened though. I wouldn't say no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you'd be like, oh, I want to have say in who plays who, right? <laughs> I, would, I would be the worst. I'm terrible with actors. People like, I can't even, I can't remember faces. I don't ask me. Nobody should ask me for that. <laughs> just, I just know, you know what, you know what you're bad at, bad at that. That's <laughs> oh, too funny, yeah. man. I, I just, I love all the things that you're doing and that you have you. done. Um, and you know, and even I, I have certain things, you know, um, that you've made me over the years too, even like uh, things that have come out of conversations and you've utilized your creativity that way. Um, mm. I just love how you show up in the world and you create you. from a place of authenticity and heart and, uh, and intelligence and it's just beautiful. So, um, thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. I try. I just, I, I love it. I love all the things you're doing. Um, what have I so, made you that you still have? I don't even remember. Uh, there was a, a butterfly um, oh. thing that, um, you know, we've talked about that just kind of going through seasons and transformations and things. Um, and there was actually another, a note card that you had written something and, and you did like this kind of really beautifully hand-drawn typography and, oh. uh, and drawn like a little butterfly thing on there too. So, Oh my gosh, I don't even remember that, but that yeah. makes me really happy. 
Yeah. We've been friends yeah. for many years. So you'll have to, I mean, it's been like, I think we've been friends for like 17 years or something. So, um, uh, yeah, probably. I know. Wow. How crazy is that? Wow. And listeners are like, Hey, we're here. <laughs> Remember us? <laughs> sorry, 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 listeners. Anyway, I'm honored you kept that mic. Yes. That's for the listeners too. You know what? The, the moral of the story is make nice things for your friends. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And you never know what impact something may have. Um, yeah. And how somebody may keep something because it, it was a special moment for them yeah. uh, that, that spoke to them in a certain way. And for you, it may just be like, well, this is just what I do. I just show up and I create things and I move on to the next thing. And then it's, you know, so on and so forth. Um, but that is completely true. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when we can recognize that what we create does have the ability to impact, um, that's, that's a special thing, you know? And to encourage us to keep creating more things, you know, we're yeah. not done, you know, as long as yeah. breath and life, let's keep creating. Absolutely. And that's something that, that cannot be taken also. And I think um, you're probably wrapping up, but like my, you know, long, long, long story short, I had, I had gotten an agent at one point and we worked together for like a year and on the verge of submitting the book to publication, she got another job and was no longer my agent. And I had to start mm. from square one and get another one. And I, you know, obviously that was like a devastating loss and people are like, oh, everything happens for a reason. You're going to get another one. And I'm like, no, that's not true. Not everything does have like, no, not every door another one is opened. Like tragedies happen every day. So mm. what am I going to do? You know, I'm going to keep trying, but nobody can take art making from me. I can always keep making things. I can always plant the garden. I can always do talk art and make music and write things. And that's so comforting to think mm -hmm. that that's, that's yours. Yeah. No matter what. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No one can take that away from you when you choose yeah. yourself and don't wait to be picked. Right. Yeah. There's a power in that. Yeah. Yes. Right. And if you don't need to, there's a lot of freedom. If you like, if you don't need to be famous and mm -hmm. you don't need to make a million dollars, if you're like, I'm enough, if my like simple needs are met and I have people I love and like, I'm okay with making art. That's, it's a lot of freedom. Yeah. 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 Love that. Love that. So I want to ask you one last question. Um, yeah. and this, this can be anything like in terms of maybe something you've read or, or somebody said to you once, but is there something that you feel like you come back to again and again, as far as a piece of advice, um, and maybe something that helps you continue on your journey, um, that, that speaks to you again and again, even in new circumstances? So when I was 22 years old, I was working a job, um, in Washington, DC. I was an activist, a full-time activist, and I believed in the work, but I had come to realize that I hated it. And it was, I'm an introvert and I'm really not made to organize protest marches. And it was just kind of sucking the life out of me. And I realized what I really wanted to do was write and go back to this novel that I cared about. So I was on the Metro and I was just kind of thinking about like, should I try to should I try to finish? I was turning 23 soon. Ooh, I was like, oh, I'm getting old. I better hurry up and write this book, right? And I had my journal and all of a sudden, a thought, some thoughts came to me that, um, I'm getting really personal, Mike. Yeah, <laughs> that, I mean, you and I are both from a church background that I think, you know, we would call 
God, but you can call whatever. Some of us, you know, somebody might just believe in their inner voice, like they're a higher power or their wisest self or whatever it was. But um, once in a while, that voice like speaks to you and says something that you're like, whoa, that didn't feel like it comes from my normal everyday, like making coffee, being petty kind of brain. And I, I happen to like, weirdly, I did not set this up, but I have, this is the journal that I wrote it down in, Hmm. which is like randomly laying around. Um, It said, in short, for your book to be all that you wish and to be a blessing to you and to other people, the goal to finish must not be about achievement. It must not be about having a book written and ready to go by age 23 because time's passing and you're getting older. It must be about the commitment to finish with the main goal being the writing and the crafting itself as an act of prayer. And it's only in this way that setting a time frame will make sense as a component of that commitment by holding that you're going to give the offering of your time a certain amount of it maybe or just the offering in seriousness and enjoy. And in this way, you will write a book, not to have written a book, but to create something beautiful. And if it helps to keep your perspective, you can pretend that the book, if ever published, would be published anonymously so that every word is for the story, not for you, not for anyone to know you said something. And with that intent, um, it gets kind of personal here, basically that, that you'll feel my presence and my company every time you sit down to write. Do not strive, work devotedly with humility and faith, and you have nothing to worry about. Mm. And it was, I don't have those moments often in life. And it kind of flowed onto paper easily enough that it, it felt very significant and meaningful to me. And something I reflected on many times over the years is that at no point was I promised this book is going to be published one day. At no point did I have some like inner assurance that's like, and you'll meet with success and you'll whatever. I felt like the only thing promised to me was like, keep showing up and you'll have nothing to worry about. Mm. And there it is. So, Mm. Ooh, I didn't mean to share all that, but you can share it if you want. I absolutely love that. And beautifully said of course um and yeah i mean there's nothing else to add to that but thank mm-hmm. you thank you for sharing that seriously yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. okay well we are going to wrap the episode um but just so that people can know where to find you if they do want to contact you for uh coming to to their class or to a book club or something or they want to get a copy of the book i'm sure it's available at all the the major booksellers um just give us some links and some places (laughs) sure yeah again the the book is called jobs for girls with artistic flair it's available in hardcover and ebook and audiobook it's out now from pamela dorman books viking books at penguin random house you can get it on amazon you can get it at barnes and noble I especially encourage you to get it at your local independent bookstore. Um, It's at libraries too. Um, And if people would like to set something up with me to talk with their class or with their book club, um, please do email me. It's june.gervais.writer at gmail.com. Gervais, like Ricky Gervais, you know, G-E-R-V-A-I-S, june.gervais.writer.com. No, at (laughs) gmail.com. My website is junegervais.com. I'm on Instagram at june.gervais.writer. 
that was a lot of stuff. There's all the stuff that you need yeah, to Yeah, well, I'll be sure to put some of that stuff in the show notes. So people can just click easily. Cool. And Let's do that. Along. Yes. <laughs> I just wanted to torture you by asking you to actually say all those things first. Would so. you like my social security number? <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, well, always a pleasure to connect with you. Um, and, you know, I, I know that your story will continue to resonate with people. Uh, your work is beautiful. You are beautiful, my friend. And um, thank you. You are too. We can go years without connecting and then just pick up where we left off special friendship. 100% true. It's it's absolutely true what I said before we started that I feel like we could be just our 17 years younger selves just chatting in your basement office. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank cool. you again and um, Thank you, Mike. Yeah. Thanks for listening today. I'd appreciate it if you would subscribe leave a rating and a review. It really helps this podcast be seen and heard by others.